comfort you. You turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, we will continue our study. Uh, and today our king is going to get arrested. Um, Jesus is the one. He is, uh, we have been following the, this 26th chapter. We've gone from the, the Last Supper, the last time that the disciples shared in that meal, uh, presumably the Passover meal. And Jesus has prayed, if there's any other way, uh, this is, if there's any other way, uh, praise to the Father, then that would be His way, but His will be done. And now uh, we begin to march towards the cross. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you, um, starting at verse 47. Actually, let me start at verse 46, because I like it. Uh, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, uh, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I, I cannot appeal to my father and that he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken that the scripture, scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. God, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask that we would be attentive that our hearts would be changed and moved. God, I ask that you guard our hearts from pride, uh, thinking that we know more than you, thinking that we understand your plan, thinking that this applies to someone else. God, do your work in us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I read that. Uh, the first verse that I read because I, I love the picture of it. Um, that Jesus, uh, as we have seen him, especially in the last few chapters, it's not been this, uh, this idea that Jesus is ducking and hiding. It, it, it's not that he's trying to somehow avoid the cross. In fact, he's preparing himself and he's preparing his disciples, and now he's marching to the cross. And as he sees them coming, he doesn't 
jump in the bush. He doesn't run the other way. He says, here they come. And he rises to meet them. You can picture the scene uh, as a dark place. There may have been others there. Uh, Some have suggested this garden uh, was not as quiet as we would picture, but there might have been others that were traveling for Passover and others being there. We don't know. But know this, there weren't any parking lights, okay? It was a dark place. If it would have been lit, it would have been lit by torches and dimly lit at that. And so we have this scene that in some ways seems foreign to us. The idea that someone wouldn't be able to identify a man whom they'd seen before and that there would have to be some signal. But nonetheless, we're in the garden. It's dark. It's night. And uh, Jesus rises knowing that Judas is going to betray him. We'll separate it this morning uh, with Jesus' conversations, first with his betrayer. Um, that word betrayer is tough to get, isn't it? Uh, as, it's not that we don't understand what it is to be betrayed, but the idea that Judas would finally betray Jesus the one, he was one of the 12, the, these special hand-picked disciples, followers. And Judas had seen just as much as any of the other disciples. It, it seems to us that uh, why would G- Judas go so far? It's one thing to uh, take every little opportunity to get a few more bucks along the way. But the idea that Judas would sell out Jesus for a bag of money is sometimes hard for us to take. And uh, so we have this conversation with Jesus and his betrayer. Matthew seems to want to make this point uh, that Judas was, this betrayer was one of the 12. And for us to read that to go, amazing, one of the 12, one who had seen all that he had seen. And it says that he came leading uh, this great crowd with swords and clubs. You think about this, and we'll come back to this later, but they came armed. Uh, One writer suggests that saying swords and clubs meant they were Romans and Jews. The Romans having the swords, the Jews having the clubs. That was their favorite weapon, if you will. I don't know. But it's this idea that a group of them came to arrest, a crowd, if you will, is described, coming with swords and clubs. And as they come, there's this sign that that Judas has given them. He says, the one that I kiss, the one that I kiss. And, And as we think of history, we refer to this as the Judas kiss. Um. This is not something good, is it? It's the sign of betrayal. And Judas comes to Jesus and not uh, in something that wasn't customary already. It was something very customary. But he comes, he kisses Jesus. And he uh, even greets him saying, Rabbi, Rabbi. It's interesting, uh, one writer pointed out that he didn't say Lord. He didn't say Lord. He said, Rabbi, uh, Lord meaning the one that's in charge, the one that's overall. Rabbi meaning simply teacher. 
And many called him rabbi, and the disciples at times called him rabbi, and other times they called him Lord. But as he approached him, and you can imagine the guilt and shame of knowing what he was doing. And not just knowing what he was doing, but knowing that Jesus knew what he was doing. And you remember the conversation at the Last Supper where Jesus says, you know, one of you is going to betray me. And they're looking around going, it's not me. I don't think it's me. And, and Judas knew, right? He knew that it was him. And even ducking out of that, Jesus, he knew that Jesus knew that it was him. He may not have known how he knew, that he, other than he knew that Jesus always seemed to know more uh, than seemed possible. So what, what you have here is this picture of Judas, who had seen all that Jesus had done, coming to betray Jesus and to hand him over um, to be arrested and eventually to be crucified. They come with uh, swords and clubs. The betrayer gives the sign. He kisses the man. And he calls for them to seize him. And Jesus uh, says to them, verse 50, said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. That's a powerful word there too, right? Judas had walked with Jesus. And he refers to him as friend, and he says, do what you came to do. And what happens next, the conclusion of the scene? They came up, they laid hands on Jesus, and they seized him. Remember, this was the plot. They had, they had, uh, had been doing this for a while. They had talked about how are we going to get Jesus and kill him, but we can't do it this way we want to want, want to cause, a, cause a uproar we want to do it quietly and so they did it at night they did it in the darkness they did it with someone leading the way all this is part of their plan and i want to say it this way judas has rejected the savior king he's rejected him for money for money Makes me wonder if Timothy, as, uh, as Paul, as he wrote to Timothy, he was thinking of this, this event when he said this uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There's a danger to money. Uh, many of us would say we would never do this. We would never participate. If someone approached us and we knew Jesus, we would never participate. But somehow, in Judas's economy, his thinking about money, there was a price that was enough to cause him to swing from one team to another. And the reality was, uh, he was looking for opportunities. He was never bought in. He re had rejected Jesus in his heart long before. And now was just the culmination. It came to the pass that he had this opportunity and he took it. Judas had rejected the Savior King. This first section is Judas and his betrayer. 
we move on from there uh, to verse 51. And I title this, Jesus and the Loose Cannon. It says in verse 51, And behold, one of uh, those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. And cut off his ear. I know that most of you have heard that already. But what a scene, right? Uh, they're, they're coming, and uh, I, I like, it's interesting. Uh, some people say of the book of Matthew, and maybe I relate to Matthew. Matthew's not uh, into the details. He doesn't give us as many details. If you look over to Luke and John, uh, you'll see more details of this same scene. In fact, uh, we don't even hear what happened to the ear in this passage, or who was this one. He, Matthew doesn't throw Peter under the bus here. He just says one of them. But uh, Luke and John have no problem identifying that it's Peter. And I, I think about this, and I think uh, this is the one, if you remember at the Last Supper, remember uh, who was a big talker? It's Peter. Uh, Peter and the others um, <coughs> had this great speech. What'd they say? They said uh, there's no way they would deny Jesus. And in fact, even to the death, even if they would have to follow him in death, it wouldn't happen. And so Peter, uh, he sees the soldiers. And it's interesting to me that uh, Peter, I, I don't know if he always, he, I don't know if he had a concealed carry permit or anything like that, but he was ready to go, right? He, he drew, he drew. Uh, there's been some discussion of whether this was a, a dagger type or um, I know my pastor, because I remember the message very well, he believes it was the broadsword, the huge one that came through. And he believes the, the guy ducked, and he went like this, and he lost his ear over it, um, which is better, by the way, than losing your neck. Uh, um, he sees Peter, and, and you get this picture. As they come, they put their hands on, on Jesus, and Peter goes, now is the time to go down in a blaze of glory. He pulls his sword, and he seeks to defend. And, and, and chances are, you know, even the word crowd uh, gives us the picture that they were outnumbered here. This wasn't, you know, this was 12 to a lot, okay? Um, and it was the idea of soldiers as opposed to walkers. You know, these guys were walkers. This is what they were good at doing. They walked with Jesus. Um, as we see this, Peter steps forward, and he He's getting ready to lead the charge against uh, those who are seeking to arrest Jesus. And Jesus speaks to his loose cannon. And I, I say that uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek because as you read through the Scripture, this same loose cannon uh, God uses greatly in the days after, uh, after his resurrection, after to establish the church. It, you look at these details in Luke, or in John chapter 18 and Luke chapter 22. We hear uh, many more details, or a few more important details. First of all, that it was Peter. And secondly, that Jesus uh, healed his ear. What a, a picture. I, I, I was wondering, um, even as I compare the, the different accounts, probably the idea uh, of, of the lighting 
uh, makes it not as big a deal for Matthew as it does for the others. You know, there's a sense where they, they probably didn't see how graphic it was. You know, they saw that he, he lost his ear, but the idea that uh, Jesus was the one to heal that in a moment. In fact, uh, I, I found it interesting that even John tells the name of the man, Malchus. I was thinking of some of you ladies here who are pregnant. And what a great name that would be, Malchus. And, um, and so I'd say, well, where do you get that? Well, from the scriptures, of course. He was the soldier who lost his ear, but Jesus healed him. I don't know, just an idea. <laughs> just an idea. Uh, nobody names their kid Malchus anymore. Um. Jesus speaks to his, his man, his soldier, his disciple. He loves his disciple, and yet his disciple has missed it totally. And, and he shares this uh, important, and I think a general truth of life. He says to Peter, he says, uh, you know, he, Peter had this idea, and, and I don't think that this is uncommon for us today. I think some of us feel this way. I'm going to defend Jesus. I'm going to defend Jesus. Nobody's going to talk about my Lord that way. I'm going to set the record straight. I'm going to pull my broadsword, knife, dagger, whatever it is, and I'm going to do, because Jesus is, I need to protect Jesus. Uh, Jesus is speaking to Peter and the others. Verse 52, then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. This phrase or, or this idea some have used uh, for pacifism. There's never a reason to fight for anything because God can take care of whatever needs to be done. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying here is as you uh, want to fight that way as you draw the sword guess what happens they draw their sword if you shoot in time guess what's going to happen they're going to shoot back and, and there's this idea that you you better make sure this is what we're doing is this the way to handle this is it with a gun is it with a, a sword if, if that's the way know this that that will escalate that will escalate and it may not be the right way to handle this as Jesus speaks to Peter, Peter thought the sword was, this was the right time to pull it. This was the, the right time. It, it was the thing. They had, what, swords and clubs, right? So Peter says, it's time. You, you, you don't go, uh, what is it? You, know, you don't go to a gunfight with a sword, right? Uh, in the same way, he wasn't saying, I'm just going to use my fist. I will pull my sword as well and escalate this and take this to this level. Jesus tells something very important for us to remember all the time, all the time. Uh, he, he speaks of this idea of the sword um, and perishing by the sword. Verse 53, Jesus says this, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? So they were outnumbered, probably. They had their 11. And uh, sometimes uh, men, especially, they go, oh, we can take them. We can take them. 
you know, three to one, but we're good at this. And, you know, we have a reason to fight. We're, we're not outnumbered. We can handle this. And so Peter, uh, in his boldness, <coughs> steps out and he says, I'm going to deal with this with the sword. And Jesus stops him, in fact, repairs the ear. Um, and, and he says, no, put that sword away. He says, let me explain this to you. This is not, this is not a problem because I don't have enough soldiers. In fact, uh, he gives him a math problem. He says this, if I wanted to, I could call upon my father and he would sell, send 12 legions of angels. And the idea of a legion was usually five to 6,000 men. Okay, so up to 72,000 angels could have descended and it would have been crowded but the garden would have been filled with angels, okay? And it, I, I'm pretty sure, like I don't know how you compare one angel to one man, but I'm pretty sure 72,000 would have been able to take care of the job. Do you, do you understand? That's overwhelming force. There's no way that, that, that victory would not be secure. And Jesus is looking at Peter and he says, Peter, this isn't the way we're going to handle this. Do you think that we need your sword? We don't need your sword. Put it away. In fact, I, I don't need you to do, don't, don't get in the way of this. As we look at this, this is a tough picture for us because I think some of us as men feel the same way. This is our Lord. We love him. He's our master, our teacher. We've seen what he's done. This is injustice. This is injustice. And I'm going to make it stop. Jesus says, uh, Peter, put that away. I could handle this any way I wanted to. I, I could have those 72,000 angels show up. <laughs> Excuse me. Verse 54, but, but how then should the scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? Must be so. Throughout the book of Matthew, over and over and over again, he's pointing back to the Old Testament picture of what Messiah would be. And he's connecting the dots that this is the plan. This is the plan. And I, I want to even push us back just more recently in our, our passage to, to, that, to that prayer that Jesus had to his father. He says, if there's any other way, and if you're here last week, you remember um, if there would be another way, uh, Jesus would have taken it, we would have taken it, but there was no other way. And so that there's only one way for redemption. There, there's this one-way plan where Jesus is going to the cross. And why? He's going to the cross for salvation for me and for you. He is going because this is the plan of the Father for redemption. How is he going to save those who would trust in him? Through his son, Jesus. And, and the idea that Peter says, it ain't going to happen right now. Jesus says, oh, yes, it is. You, you get this picture, okay? Uh, Judas, what did he think he was doing? Making some bucks, right? I'm just doing this, you know, uh, Jesus is going to be arrested. That's uh, it's bad, but, you know, uh, I needed to make this money. Jesus is going to be arrested. I'm playing a significant role in arresting Jesus. Peter, 
the loose cannon, Jesus, uh, he pulls out the sword and Peter says, I'm going to stop this, this arrest. This is not going to happen. I'm going to stop it. Jesus says to him, no, you're not. This is part of the scripture being fulfilled. This is so I can go to the cross. Jesus doesn't explain all this. He's already talked about this, alluded to this. But afterwards, undoubtedly, Peter connected the dots. He goes, oh, yeah, I tried to stop salvation. <laughs> I tried to stop the Messiah from going to the cross. I, I, I tried to stop my Savior from saving me. Peter uh, missed it. And he went uh, and tried to stop it. Jesus says, no, I could have done it anyway. Um, and now uh, Scripture will be fulfilled because of the arrest. Now Jesus moves from his loose cannon to now the not-so-innocent bystanders. Verse 55. <coughs> At that hour, Jesus uh, said to the crowds, presumably, uh, primarily, the, the guys with the swords and the clubs. There were undoubtedly probably some uh, elders, the chief priests, uh, religious leaders with them, maybe even some other Romans that weren't armed or they weren't participating. They weren't soldier types. They were, they were there. And he says to the crowd, he addresses them. And when, when I say not so innocent bystanders, some of those guys were probably just soldiers doing their job. They were army guys or cops or, you know, they, they were, you know, they got put on a detail. They got grabbed. Hey, we need five men. Okay, five, you five right there. Come, we're going to go. Grab your swords. And others maybe volunteered. They had their clubs, right? Uh, and, and they came and they understood, hey, you're going to arrest Jesus. Got it. Jesus, arrest, kiss, get him. Got it. Um, this is what, and now Jesus addresses them, maybe even in the hands of captors at this point. And Jesus addresses uh, these crowds. And he says, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? <coughs> He's making a point. Uh, some would say mocking, and uh, probably, probably truthful in that. He says, uh, he's pointing to the swords and clubs. Good thing you got those. Good thing you got those. Because I'm a scary guy. I, I, you know, I'm a dangerous fighting machine. That you, you had to bring your crowd, your crowd with swords and clubs. You had, you had to be armed up, right? You needed to be ready to go. Why? Because I'm such a dangerous person. In our day today, um, Jesus might have said something like, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a dangerous drug lord, El Chapo, Al Capone. I, I'm someone that is to be feared. That's why you've come with swords and clubs. And then he says this, he says, day after day I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. Jesus refers to himself as a teacher. And he, and he says, you, you know, I must have been quite a teacher, a dangerous terrorist teacher in the temple. 
because I did it day after day. And guess what you did? Nothing. Nothing. And now, what you're getting here is this, and it's very important for us to see it. Um, We have an enemy that desires uh, this crucifixion. Uh, It was interesting that the enemy of the Lord, uh, he thought the crucifixion would be this conclusion. Jesus would be done with and no one would follow him anymore. And, And yet the very thing, the plan of God, was that Jesus would go to the cross for salvation. And in the book of Matthew, pointing not just to the salvation part, that he would then reign as king over all. And, and you get this idea that the enemy was stirring up people. He was stirring up people. Uh, he had stirred up, uh, and really more people are getting stirred up as time goes on in, in, our, uh, in our passages that we've been looking at. You have the chief priests, you have the elders, you, you now have the authorities involved, and Rome is coming involved. And, and more and more people are gathering. The, the, these soldiers have come now, and they're stirred up, and they're, they're looking for a fight, they're looking for this. And Jesus says, swords and clubs, really? This is, I, I'm such a dangerous person that you brought the mob for me? Jesus uh, points to how, uh, how something else is going on. Something else is going on. He said, I, I, <coughs> I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. And then verse 56, but all this taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Once again, part of the plan. This was not outside of the plan of God. It was part of the plan of God. It's a picture to them, the the Jews especially, that they would have known what the Scriptures had said. Their prophets had told them. Jesus points to them. Hey, your Messiah was to come, and here he is. Here he is. Come to the end of our passage this morning. And you have one other group that Jesus uh, deals with. Uh, He now deals with his failing followers. His failing followers. Verse 56, um, the end words there, it says this, Then all the disciples left him and fled. All of them left and fled. These same ones, uh, uh, Peter, he was so bold. He had a sword out. He had a sword out ready to go. The other disciples probably were doing this as well and you know, grabbing, get, getting a rock or something. You know, they, they were all so bold. They were all so bold. And the, these are the same disciples that at the Last Supper, they said, not I. It's not me. It's not me. In fact, uh, what Peter said, we'll do that too. We'll, we'll die before we... And what happened? They all bailed. They all fleed. They took off. They took off. They scattered. You look at this, and Jesus has no one. Jesus has no one. He doesn't have Judas. He betrayed him. He doesn't have Peter. Uh, his loose cannon, even his loose cannon, went wrong. He doesn't have the crowd. The crowd came to uh, <coughs> arrest him. And those other 10 that were there, uh, they bailed out as well. Well, where do we go with all this? Um, 
Obviously, we're mar- marching to the cross, but I have three things for you as we conclude this morning. Remember this, uh, that the plan was the cross. The plan was the cross, not the sword. The plan was the cross, not the sword. And I want to tell you that that's something we should think about. Uh, Jesus, as we look at this, sometimes we get caught up in the the man-centeredness of all this, all the details of what goes on. But know this, that the plan was the cross, not the sword. I want to tell you that's the same that's true for you today. Uh, It's not some might that you can muster. But for you, it's the cross of Christ, that Jesus went to the cross. That was His plan uh, for Himself, the, the Father's plan for the Son. And in us, now, that's the plan for us, the cross. Secondly, to remember this, that man could not arrest Him, man could not hold Him, Man could not stop him from going to the cross. You, you look at that, and uh, sometimes we want to see these events and saying, oh, the Jews killed Jesus, or the Romans arrested Jesus, or the Romans convicted him, or the Jews convicted him, or if it had been differently, if Peter would have planned better, or whatever. I, I want you to remember this, that man could not, man could not, Stop him from going to the cross. And lastly, when you look at these four groups that we've seen today, Judas, uh, we saw (coughs) Peter, we saw the crowd of not-so-innocent bystanders, and then we saw the rest of the disciples as well. As you look at them, you need to remember this that all needed to accept the grace one at the cross of Jesus. All needed to accept. You look at this, and sometimes we struggle, especially with Judas. You know, how could he do this? At what point uh, was he lost? Could, could even after he betrayed Jesus at this point, could he have repented? You know, we we don't know any of those things. We don't know exactly what was going on at what time. But know this. Jesus called him friend. Jesus called him friend. That uh, with Peter, he blew it royally. He, He didn't get it. He didn't get what was going on. Jesus had told him over and over, I'm going to the cross. And, and Peter's idea is, no, no, you're not. Oh, no, you're not. Peter was trying to mess up this wonderful plan of salvation. He needed God's grace. Guess what? The not-so-innocent bystanders, the ones who were standing there, they were seeing and witnessing what Jesus was, His plan working out. Guess what? They needed the grace of God. They needed to repent and change and embrace what Jesus had done for them. And then, as we'll see, those disciples that failed in a moment, failed in their following, uh, they also needed the grace of God. The grace that was won at the cross, they needed it. And I want to just connect it to you. So do you. So do I. We need His grace. Some of you may not have trusted in Jesus at all. You, you've been rejecting Him your whole life, pushing Him off. I want to tell you, now is the time to quit pushing and embrace, to not reject, but to embrace what Jesus has done on your behalf.
For some of us here, we come in, it was a bad week. We didn't do so well. We abandoned, we ran. We had our own ideas and we thought they were better than God's. And I want to tell you, you need the grace of God to cover that. You haven't lost your salvation, but you need to repent and say, God, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes and I think I have my own way. His grace covers you. That's what the cross was all about. Him winning it for us. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this time. God, we ask that your spirit would work in us now, that you would remind us of this in the week to come. I pray that as, uh, as your word is encouraging all the time, that it would be especially fitting to whatever we're going through. God, I, I realize that um, we want to be victorious, but no one came out so good in this passage other than your son Jesus, who faithfully obeyed you. And God, may we trust in you May we acknowledge your plan. May we walk by faith. May we follow Jesus. We thank you for this time in his name.